Good morning, this is the Eager Beaver Show. You are listening to a True North Eager Beaver Media Podcast. The True North Eager Beaver podcasts are proudly brought to you by our founding sponsors, the Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, your source for science fiction, fantasy, and cozy mysteries featuring a broad diversity of characters. CanadianTarot.com, your uniquely Canadian online eclectic tarot community and forum, and the Peppermaster, hot pepper sauces made from fresh farm ingredients to thrill your taste buds and expand your mind. Good morning and hello kids and welcome to season three and episode number 333 of the Daily Beaver Morning Show here on the Cryer Media Network. Today recording day is Thursday, October 19th, 2023 and it looks like it's going to be a pretty good day here at the Beaver Lodge. I'm your host, the Eager Beaver, pronouns he, him, hey, Mr. Beaver, eh? And with me is my good friend, Mr. Grizzly. He'll tell you more about that in a second. A uh, big thank you goes to our sponsors, the Pepper Master, the Misty Mysteries, and Corvid Moon Publishing. But uh, Mr. Grizzly, how are you feeling today, sir? I need a new back. Hey. I have so much pain right now. I can barely move. I'm not going to be able to stick around this morning. I've got to go lie down in my Shakti mat, and hopefully I can function at some point, but right now I'm in terrible shape. Everything hurts so much. I, I, I'm on the verge of tears. It's that yep. bad. It happens. Yep. So take care of yourself and I can empathize. I know the feelings. <clears throat> okay. I'll, I'll be listening in and let me know when you want to end the show and I'll jump back in and cut it off, but I, I got to go lie down. I'm terribly yep. sorry to all the kitchen cubs and you, sir, but no I, I can't, I can't today. Okay. As we always say, kids, uh, be kind to and gentle with yourself. So always take time for self-care. If you have that luxury, again, not everybody does. I'm not used to doing this, but let's see how it goes. Uh, There has been lots in the news, of course, as always, because, well, We've got two wars going on, number one, and then we are a G7 nation. So there are things that are happening here. If let's see, what do I want to start with today? Because there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. Let's start with 
some stuff with Donald Trump, because that's what I have right in front of me right away. His civil fraud case continued in New York, and though his attendance is voluntary, he decided to show up again. He had showed up for the first three days, and then I guess he got bored a little bit and wandered off, but now he's decided to show back up again. I guess he maybe didn't have anything else on the schedule. Who knows why he does what he does. But it seems that New York's Attorney General's office has been presenting a trail of evidence showing that his employees arrived at the values that they wanted for their properties rather than what professionals advised. They say that they based values on official appraisals while pumping values hundreds of millions of dollars higher. But on the witness stand, the appraiser affirmed that Trump's numbers did not come from him. So that was a big bomb moment in that trial. Uh, And of course, there's lots of other things going on with him. The most interesting thing seems to be that when it comes to the presidential race, Robert Kennedy Jr., who was trying to get the Democratic nomination somehow realized that was not going to happen. So he's launched an independent bid for it. President Biden, according to latest polls, say is leading Trump 49-46, but that's within the 4% margin of error of that poll. And everybody has been saying that if RFK ran, that it would probably pull from Biden. But this poll here was not just Biden and Trump they had on the list. They had Biden, Trump, and Kennedy. So when that happens, it seems that the lead, Biden has a bit of a lead. Now they have this other thing going on called No Labels, which is another party that's trying to, or another movement. I don't know if they're calling themselves the No Labels Party, but that's trying to offer some other options, which people fear would also might pull from the Democrats vote because nobody assumes that it's going to pull for the Trump vote. The Trump vote is pretty solid. It's just how much they're going to divide the Republican Party vote with uh, these other parties. So the speculation has been that would hurt the Democrats. The first polling out there that inserted the name of a third candidate revealed that it would actually favor Biden in this case. I don't know if the United States is on the verge of breaking their two-party system to try to create a bit more of a multiple-party system or a third one. But that country needs it because two parties going back and forth, one person building something, then the other person destroying the thing that was built and basically being in a model of are not our two politics. You're the fascist. No, you're the fascist. No, you're the fascist. No, you're the fascist. And there's nobody that could come up the middle and say, you're both idiots. <laughs> like That's the beauty of Canada. Fortunately, we have, even though we've only had two parties federally run the government, go back and forth. We do have other parties that we can make it such that one party doesn't have a majority and temper some stuff. And so our politics seem to be a little less heated despite 
PP desperately trying to make it much more Americanized by the way he's doing things. The other thing going on in the United States, of course, is the vote for the speaker. And uh, Jim Jordan is not doing very well. He was about 20 votes short on the first vote. And they were, as we mentioned yesterday, they were pretty much totally confident that it was going to get done yesterday, no matter what. Two days ago, no matter what. Yesterday, they had a second vote. And more candidates didn't necessarily run, but more people were voted for. So I think there was just three on the first vote. And on the second vote, there was maybe six different options. And Jim Jordan lost two votes between the first and the second. So it's he's not doing better. The Democrats are still offering up Hakeem Jeffries. And all that would be required is five Republicans who are tired of this to switch over and say, fine. And they'll negotiate a deal on things that they'll work on together and things can go forward. But this whole thing started because Kevin McCarthy made a deal with Democrats to get a 45-day continuing resolution, which, by the way, that's playing in the background, right? Because right now, the House pretty much can't operate except for uh, what it needs to do to hold these votes to elect a speaker. So they have a speaker pro tem, or an interim speaker, uh, whose last name is McHenry. I can't remember his first name. I think it might be Patrick. Um, and a lot of people are maybe looking at him. At a, there's a talk about boosting his powers up until sometime in the month of January so that things can get done. Because in the United States right now, let's say they wanted to vote on a spending bill to help out in Israel. They can't do that. So the Republicans, who always make a very big case of being very pro-Israel, just like Skippy is doing right now, there seems to be a concerted movement on the part of the conservative media and conservative pundits to try to paint this government as anti-Semitic. There's been two or three incidences that were some person unfortunately received funding for a grant and the funding was asked to be remitted an investigation to how that happened was called for but that wasn't good enough and for weeks they tried to claim that the government was without saying the government's anti-semitic but you know making it look like it and there have been other such incidents uh, lately so for example anyway We'll get back to that because with uh, the bombing of the hospital, there was an attempt to do that again. But they're they're trying to they're I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, where I was going with that. But on the speakers thing, if the United States really wants to help it with Israel, because this couldn't happen at the worst time. And the Republicans are showing that they still can't get it together to pick someone as a speaker to vote while this is going on in Israel. Right? You might want to try another route at this particular point in time because this is a critical situation. So this couldn't come at a worse time. Now, of course, 
there's no way that the Democrats could have known at the time that they voted to remove Jim, not Jim Jordan, Kevin McCarthy as speaker, right? That this was going to happen. But then again, this really is, the Republicans are trying to blame the Democrats for this. Oh, if you hadn't voted McCarthy out, it's not like the Democrats really had any reason to want to keep McCarthy. He hasn't shown himself particularly trustworthy, which is the reason for which the eight Republicans that wanted to get rid of him also. So it was funny. They both didn't trust him for different reasons. So yes, of course, the Democrats would say, yeah, let's get rid of him. But the fact that the Republicans are in disarray and just can't get it together to vote for someone is a delicious bonus for the Democrats. But the world keeps on turning, right? So you have world events, like I said, the continuing resolution, somebody needs to vote on something there. And as the time is taken up, they had 45 days. It's been at least 14 days since the house has been closed that it can't do its business. So the first time they were voting for a speaker last time, we laughed because it took 15 votes, but there were multiple votes on the same day. The house wasn't closed for 14 days while that debacle happened. This one, the house has been closed for 14 days. The United States is pretty much stalled. That can't be good. And the faction within the party that didn't want to pass a budget, that wanted the government to shut down, that didn't want that continuing resolution, strategically ensuring that these House votes go on or that the House stays closed for more than 45 days would be another way of making that happen now, wouldn't it? It would be completely and totally reckless, but they've shown that they're not beyond that. Uh, it is not easy living above the math lab. <laughs> it is. Oof. So yeah, oh, all of that is going on south of us. It's a big hot mess. While all that is going on, President Joe Biden went to Israel to offer support. He was also supposed to have a visit with the leaders of Jordan, the leaders of the Palestinian Authority, and another entity that I can't remember off the top of my head. Those were canceled by the parties he was to visit after the hospital incident took place. The hospital incident, once again, is yet another in a lesson that we have been being taught over and over again, that the hot take is probably not the best one. And that, yes, even though we live in a 24-7 world where as soon as something happens, somebody shoves a mic in your face and asks for, what's your opinion? What's your take? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And there are certain things for which you can know that. But when a hospital in a war gets blown up, who did it? In a conflict where there is 
mass misinformation, disinformation, misdirection, propaganda, one side blaming the other, the other side blaming the other. I mean, just last night when I was listening to news on Al Jazeera, it was still being reported as an Israeli airstrike on that hospital. And that's not the way it was reported in other news, right? So there's a man from the Eurasia group, his name is Ian Bremer, who made an interesting tweet the other day saying, absent facts, the guilty party is the one you don't like. That's pretty much what's being applied here. So um, Dean from the network also had a tweet going out yesterday, something like 24 hours ago, the story was one thing, 12 hours ago, the story was another thing. And now the story appears to be that it might have been a misfired rocket, not from the Israel side, but also not from Hamas. It might have been from another group called Islamic Jihad within the country. So something that misfired and hit the hospital. Again, I do not know how certain that information is. I know that there are ways for people to find that out if people can get on the ground and do the analysis. And I don't know who's doing the analysis and I don't, I'm not sure on how reliable the current version is, but that story has changed at least three times now. And there are people that walked out, chin up ass out on version one or version two and made some very strong claims that now they have to walk back. It's just everybody. Some, sometimes I wish we could just give the entire planet a Xanax because people just really need to chill the F out, man. <laughs> Say, this again is pointing to the wisdom of waiting until there are at least a few verified facts available in the public domain, verified facts from reliable sources, before choosing to have an opinion. Again, this is a fresh situation. We don't really know much about it now. Of course, it's terrible that this happened to the hospital. But when we find out more, we will tell you more. Is an acceptable answer. And the government of Canada put out such a statement. Melanie Jolie put out a statement. It's terrible that this hospital was hit. That should not happen. Right, because the prime minister reminded everyone, saying even to war there are rules. You generally don't try to take out hospitals. It's usually considered a no. But we didn't know who did it. We didn't have any source for the weapon. We we didn't know. So we made a blank statement, a basic boilerplate statement. We didn't rush in and take a side right off the bat because we didn't know who was responsible. And there been like Andrew Coyne yet again, putting up there, really 
nothing. You're not even going to say. You're not going to condemn anyone. You're not going to say, really? No, no. Just, gee, what a weak response. Again, trying to paint this government as somehow anti-Semitic. It's a dog whistle. They're not right out saying that they're Jew haters. But they didn't come out in the first 15 minutes and say how horrible it was that the Palestinians or that Hamas or that Islamic Jihad or that Hezbollah bombed that hospital. And then they'd come out and say, there's absolutely no way Israel would hit the hospital. Israel would never do that, ever. There might be a reason for that. There might be a reason for which the Prime Minister is always saying, in accordance with international law. Emotions are running very high, and sometimes people make decisions with a hot head that have some unintended consequences down the road. You got this situation where people in Israel are looking at the largest extinction of Jewish people in one day since the Second World War. The emotions that are going to be behind decisions might... People are trying to make a distinction between your right to self-defense and exercising that and a search for retribution. And I am don't think I'm going out on a limb to hear and say that in a case like this, retribution would probably feel really damn good. But then what? It'll still have consequences after that. So decisions have to be made in a highly inflamed state, in a highly emotional state. I've heard the word pogrom being mentioned. And that word has historical significance. And on the other side, you have the Palestinian people, who again, I'm going to say, a good chunk of them hate Hamas. Because they know they're being used as human shields. Nobody likes that. But you have some people that are really upset that some people would have a thought for a whole group of people who, through no fault of their own, are living in what people call an open-air prison and under an apartheid system. And it's been going on for quite a while. And that maybe they aspire to more out of life and they would like the dignity 
of themselves also having land of their own. So it's a hot mess, but it leads people to make some decisions like in a school here in Canada. There was a teacher, I believe it was in the Ottawa area, who asked a student who was Palestinian, who had the Palestinian flag on their screen, I guess it was an online class thing, to take it down. Because other students may be threatened by it. Of course, there were complaints and the teacher did apologize for doing that. But that kid in that moment, that child, and, and said to the teacher, says, I'm not feeling particularly welcome right now. A cooler head in that situation may have made another choice than to ask a child to try to diminish or erase or minimize part of their identity. We have to be careful with what we do. We live in a pluralistic nation. We have many people of many religions and life stories and histories and ethnic origins, all living under the same roof, which means that we have to be kind to each other. We have to be mindful of each other. We have to make sure that when things like this are going on, that we keep in mind that there are people who are suffering both sides of the border and that it's not wrong to want to show care and compassion for everybody who's involved in this, who is having their lives turned upside down in ways that are unimaginable. Actually, you know what? We should stop saying that word, unimaginable. It's quite imaginable because these things have happened in history before. They are thinkable. They are imaginable. We don't like thinking about them and imagining them, but... But these things have happened. We have to just be gentle. And we can show that compassion. We can show that care. And yes, there are going to be some people, like I mentioned a few shows ago, there are going to be some people who are fearful right now. Legitimately so. Rightfully so. A lot of us are not in their shoes. We don't feel what they're feeling. Who all they care about right now is they want to know, are you on my side? And they don't have time for nuance right now. And you know what? It's not the best situation, but it's fair. I can't sit here and tell you that in the same situation, 
that I could be as calm and poised as I am now and see it from all sides. Maybe I would just care about my thing in that moment if it was really real, like right here in my face, real for me. That moment, we can't know. We can't know. So just first opting for kindness. Rarely is a bad option. And sometimes it can go a long way. So I'm going to try to slowly move away from that subject. Just a couple of little tidbits before we move there. The Gaza Health Ministry says that greater than 3,300 people have been killed uh, by day 12. It was almost 4,000 killed and 13,000 injured. I do not know if that is numbers for both sides here because it comes from the Gaza Health Ministry or just for the, the Gaza side of it. But just, there are a lot of lives that are being appended and there are a lot of people here who love a lot of people over there whose lives are being appended. So let's be kind. There was a, yesterday was a historic day because Premier Wab Canoe was sworn in as Premier. And it was a really fantastic day. He gave a great interview on CPAC primetime politics, which I wanted to show segments of today, but Mr. Grizzly's not doing well, so I will save them for tomorrow. But there was some very interesting things that happened. Mr. Canoe, was quoted as saying, if I were to lead only for non-Indigenous people, then I'd be turning my back on my dad. And if, were, and if I were to lead only for Indigenous people, then I would be turning my back on my own mom. Interesting. He was sworn in. There was lots of tradition and ceremony with it. His father, he made the point of also saying that his father, when he was a young man, did not have the legal right to vote. And now here is his son as premier. That is, that's a good feeling, I have to say. I, we do, sometimes we forget how long, how far we've come. We still got way, way, way long to go. But every now and then it's nice to stop and take a breath and look and say, hey, okay, we did do that. This is a big day. This is a big day. The cabinet was sworn in. It is small but diverse. It's a little smaller than the 18-member cabinet that Heather Stephenson had. Mr. Canoe, or Premier Canoe, was quoted as saying, for the first time in Manitoba's history, First Nations women will be sworn into Manitoba's provincial cabinet. And of course, it will be led by the First Nations Premier of the Canadian province. Uh, and then, there we go. My dad wasn't allowed to vote when he was a young man. His son was elected to lead the province is the exact quote he used. His focus has been on health care, of course, during the campaign, but he has also made commitments, one, to bestow upon Louis Riel the honorary title of being recognized as Manitoba's first ever premier. Interesting. He has been recognized as founder and first leader of Manitoba, but the Manitoba Métis Federation has continued to push for him to be granted the title. And the president of the MMF, David Chartrand, says that he actually shed some tears over the announcement, but also made the point that 
the premier's job is to help all Manitobans as well as Indigenous people. He's quoted as saying, this is the president of the Manitoba Métis Federation, quote, we must not go pounding on his door and saying, okay, you guys take care of all of our problems. You've got to give us whatever we want. There are great expectations that Canoe will move Manitoba forward in reconciliation. So it seems that there is a goodwill that's there to allow him to try. So that would be really cool. He has decided to also be the minister in charge for reconciliation within the province. He's taken that upon himself. So that'll be pretty interesting to see what he does, just like the prime minister in his first cabinet chose to become to be the youth, youth minister as well. So he's taken this on. He's mentioned Manitoba now has a Jewish lieutenant governor and an Anishinaabe premier, a gender-balanced cabinet, and a government MLA team that represent many walks of life. And I believe that this sends a message to every young person in Manitoba that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, and no matter which barriers you've had to overcome on your life's path, that the road to success is open for you. How can you not love this man? How can you not love this man? Oh, man. About holding the title of Minister of Indigenous Reconciliation, Canoe said it should send an important message to Indigenous leaders. Quote, our government will recognize you for what you are. The leaders of governments just like the other orders of government in Manitoba, Canada, and across North America. Again. Nation to nation, government to government, that respect. He's going to set the example. It's going to be interesting to see. Former senator and man I think who is universally loved, the Honorable Murray Sinclair was one of the co-presiders of the swearing-in. It had a chief song and a war bonnet was placed on the head of uh, Premier Canoe by his uncle who is a residential school survivor and community leader. So again, you, you can just imagine the emotion of the day here <laughs> that's going on. Murray Sinclair stated, it really is Manitoba's true act of reconciliation. And I want you to think of it that way. I want you to think of the fact that we are now entering a new phase. And that wasn't all the history. That was made by that cabinet. Manitoba's new Minister for Health, Seniors, and Long-Term Care, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, Minister Uzuma Azaguara, is the first black cabinet minister in Manitoba's history and the first non-binary cabinet minister in Canadian history. In an election campaign, where the incumbent government ran on that transgender policy, an openly non-binary candidate was elected to legislature, and Premier Canoe made them a cabinet minister. Again, kids, 
we have this war. We have wars. We have climate change. We have all these things that are doom scrolling. But if you pay attention, if you pay attention, peace, love, equality, fairness, kindness are slowly and quietly breaking out throughout the world. This is an example of it. It's big time. These things are meaningful. So Minister Azaguara is now the Minister of Health, Seniors, and Long-Term Care. They are quoted as saying, the most important thing is making sure that we have the human resources and healthcare across the system to ensure that Manitobans are able to get the care they need at their bedside. There you go. And Canoe, Premier Canoe, when speaking of his cabinet minister, mentioned that in addition to making history in numerous respects, the minister is also somebody who comes from the front lines of healthcare. They were a registered psychiatric nurse. They are somebody who's worked in long-term care facilities. They are somebody who is still very closely connected to the healthcare workforce. And I think that will serve them well and our province as we look to repair our healthcare system. Yes, he mentioned, yes, this is historic. But he, then he talked about their qualifications and what they bring to the table. Yeah, yeah, they're non-binary. Yes, that's a historic guess. But here's why I picked them. The qualifications, the merit. And he did it elegantly and effortlessly. It's a beautiful thing. I, again, how could you not love this man? Bernadette Smith is the Minister of Housing, Homelessness, Addictions, and Mental Health. So they put that all together. And there's a reason for that. She was asked how she'll measure success. And she said, not having people live in bus shelters for one. That would be pretty good. We also know that Premier Canoe, during the campaign, made a commitment to end homelessness. So when asked about putting housing, homelessness, addictions, and mental health together as one department, said, uh, yeah, Winnipeg, along with many other communities in our province like Thompson and Brandon and others, has seen so much more visible signs of the impacts of homelessness and some of the related social challenges. We see them in bus shelters. We see these challenges underneath bridges and in communities right across the province. And we have committed, after listening to the experts and listening to leaders in the community and in the world of business and in society, that we need to take a cross-departmental approach. We need to take an approach that breaks down barriers, cuts through the excuses, and just delivers a wrap-around services that people need to be successful in getting off the streets and into housing. And so the appointment of Mr. Smith today is representative of a symbolic change in our government. We're going to bring everything under one roof from the housing programs to the addiction programs to the other wraparound supports that people will need. And so as we as a government cut through the silos and foster greater collaborations, 
we're sending a message to the other levels of government that we want to work with them in a very positive and constructive way across Manitoba and to the community organizations and business leaders that we all want to work together. And so my hope is that by bringing everything under one roof and then one united approach, that we'll be able to replicate the same thing when we work with the other levels of government and with community as well. Again, the wrap around services. If we're talking about addictions and mental health and homelessness together as a unit and how they, these elements feed each other, doing it in a wraparound way. Oh, man. How can you not like this guy? <laughs> I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for him. And there's a lot of people that are saying that they could see this man as leader of the NDP one day, the federal one, might even be able to see him as prime minister. Okay, now that's with a lot of enthusiasm in its early days. We'll wait. But even that there are some even talk in my lifetime, I never thought I would see the day where I'd hear people talk enthusiastically about an Indigenous Canadian as being Prime Minister material. It's a good day. It's a good day. You got to, listen, the world is tough. You got to take the wins when you get them. And this is a nice, beautiful win. It's a beautiful win. Unfortunately, all across the world, down in Australia, the vote, the, refer on, the referendum on creating a body uh, that would be called The Voice, that would provide some advice and guidance to the government of Australia on matters related to Indigenous rights. That was voted down by the people of Australia by about 60%. Prime Minister Tony Albanese says that it's not the end at least for him, he's going to try and uh, do more in other ways. And, but he said that he was very disappointed by the vote. Members of the Indigenous community in Australia who were very much for this initiative and supporting it uh, were devastated also. Once again, as a Canadian, I do not understand the concept of allowing people that are not part of the affected group vote on recognizing rights for other people. I don't understand that. If the vote was strictly among the indigenous community, maybe they're voting on something for themselves, but I just didn't understand the concept of asking all Australians to vote on whether or not we're going to give a group that's been traditionally marginalized and still not included in the constitution rights because there's been no history in the country of anybody willingly wanting to grant them. So why are we asking people to vote on whether or not they'd be willingly wanting to grant them? It's one of the things I loved about Canada when it came to our rights as rainbow people. 
It was judicial. Only. Are you recognized as human? Do you fundamentally have human rights if you are recognized as human? Are those rights being granted to you in a manner equal to every other citizen? And that's all that matters. That was the legal test. Nobody then turned around and said, oh, okay, yes, we do recognize them as human, and yes, they should have rights. But first, before we do that, because that's we should be where it ends, <laughs> right? Yes, you are recognized as human, on equal footing with every other human. Therefore, you have inherent fundamental rights, which we will recognize. But first, a vote. No. <laughs> Just, I, that's where it ends. So, one of the reasons for which I'm very grateful to be Canadian, that we have a government and a legal system that recognizes that. Hopefully, there will be other things happening in Australia to be able to recognize the Indigenous people there. All right. So that's Mr. Canoe. Yes, this is the thing I was looking for when I wanted to open with Trump as well. So I'm going to scooch back to him. It seems that there is now a gag order on him, which must be killing him, which of course is great. And of course, a, there's already articles that I didn't get to read, but did Donald Trump already violate the gag order? Of course he did. <laughs> this guy has no impulse control. But federal judge Tanya Chutkin barred Donald Trump from attacking witnesses, prosecutors, and court staff involved in his Washington, D.C. criminal case. Her gag order states, quote, First Amendment protections yield to the administration of justice and to the protection of witnesses. His presidential candidacy does not give him carte blanche to vilify public servants who are simply doing their job. Twice during the hearing, it seems that his criminal defense attorney, John Loro, was behaving more like his campaign publicist, claiming that the only possible solution to the problem of allegedly no gag order being constitutionally acceptable, that's their position, right? It's within his First Amendment rights to threaten judges and witnesses and all that kind of stuff, that it's just free speech. So therefore, there is absolutely no limit whatsoever that the judge could put on Trump's speech that would be constitutionally acceptable. That's his lawyer's position. And so far, therefore, the only solution to not affect the presidential election is to delay this trial until after the presidential election. He's been denied this several times already by this judge, and they're still trying at it. She was not having it. <laughs> and she uh, very curtly, quote, this trial will not yield to the election cycle, and we will not revisit the trial date. Boom. <laughs> um, now, of course, the judge, having made it quite clear that so much of what Trump says and what he posts and reposts are thinly, and sometimes not so thinly, veiled calls for violence, she pointed 
for example, to one of his favorite lines, him talking about special prosecutor Jack Smith and his lawyer says, deranged thugs. Um, she noted, you, you know what, Mr. Laro? Any other defendant who was on pretrial released and a federal felon in a federal felony case who said the person prosecuting him was a deranged thug would be removed from pretrial release and would be detained pending trial. So why is Trump any different? A lot of the things that he's doing would have him in jail right now, pending trial. But he's not, because the laws are not equally applied to him. Yeah. Uh, it says that, uh, and also during their uh, little exchange with his lawyer, um, she m mentioned Obviously, you have an audience other than me in mind, which is usually not a good idea. <laughs> so um, a lot of people are saying that, a lot of people, legal analysis, are saying that the thing with Trump is he doesn't go out and say, oh, this judge is annoying me. Will somebody please take her out? They um, make reference to a quote from, Henry II, in reference to Thomas Beckett, who was the then Archbishop of Canter Canterbury, who had the king musing out loud, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? Not saying, hey, you, you take him out? But by wondering and musing aloud, out loud, maybe somebody will take it upon themselves to make the king happy. You never know. If it happens, I'm sure Mr. Trump would turn around and say, I didn't order him to do that, but I mean, it worked out for me, so I'm not going to cry, right? Yep. Yep. So she finished with Mr. Trump. He doesn't like that. That really gets under his skin when somebody doesn't call him president. Mr. Trump is a criminal defendant. He's facing four felony charges. He's under the supervision of the criminal justice system. He does not have the right to say and do exactly as he pleases. No other criminal defendant would be allowed to do so, and I'm not going to permit it in this case. So, however, it would be nice to actually see a judge truly not permit it. This should already be behind bars all the violations he's had right now. So while all these judges are saying they will not permit it, technically they have been permitting it and they're really slow walking the incrementalism. Because again, you can't put a president in jail. Pardon me, kids, I have to sneeze. And Trump's lawyer actually said that, testified. So what? You're going to put a former president in jail? I would like to see the judge suddenly channel former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau go, yeah, I am. Just watch me. Boom. <laughs> uh, 
it's got to happen at some point. This guy can't stop running his mouth. But we'll see. We'll see. Back to Israel. Sorry, my notes are not necessarily in a specific order. President Joe Biden said that he secured an agreement for the delivery of a limited amount of aid to Gaza through the Rafah border in Egypt. President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi of Egypt has agreed to open the border crossing to Lidin, about 20 trucks of aid limited. There's about 200 trucks waiting at the border at the moment, but it seems like it's going to be a bit of a pilot to see if those 20 will get through without being commandeered somehow by Hamas, because if that does, then all attempts of delivering aid through that border are pretty much going to cease immediately. President Biden is quoted as saying, this has been a very blunt negotiation I've had, and I want to get as many of the trucks out as possible. At the time he was saying this, there's 150 or so something there. Not all of them will go. The commitment is if, in fact, they cross the border, the UN is going to be on the other side, with the point being that if Hamas confiscates it or doesn't let it go through, that's going to end. The UN Agency for uh, Palestinian Refugees says that it has systems in place to ensure that supplies don't fall into the hands of Hamas. This, if it goes through, would be the first delivery of outside help in about 11 days. So it's really needed. Uh, If the first 20 trucks go well, there's a possibility that more could come in later. This is a, a critical moment here with regard to that. It seems that Egypt's foreign minister is saying that if damages at the Rafah crossing are repaired and it's operating normally, they foreign nationals, foreign citizens, and dual nationals that are trapped in Gaza might be able to leave. But negotiations around crossing have been littered with broken promises so far, and uh, no other refugees from Gaza would be able to leave. This would only be applied to foreign nationals and dual citizens that are uh, there actual Palestinians who have lived in the Gaza Strip all their lives would not be granted uh, permission to cross. There seems to be an all-out international effort to show solidarity because the day before uh, President Biden was there, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz had visited Israel, and uh, today it's UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak who's there. Uh, the dip- the diplomatic effort is there. In the United States, it's according to polling, two-thirds of people say that they want the U.S. government to show strong support publicly for Israel in the war against Hamas. But if you look at the demographics, there are some interesting trends. For people who are 45 years and over, 78% said that they wanted this strong public show of support. But for those under 45, it was only 48%. That's a 30% drop. I don't know if it's just because there's less teaching about the Holocaust in school or something. Again, a lot of things start where you put the needle. People who have around my age, you know, I'm, I'm 50, I've known this conflict whatever I've seen on the news from whatever point, you know, I started paying attention to it in my life and not necessarily fully aware of the history before. So I, from my perspective, I've seen 
two different entities struggling with each other in some way and trying to find some way to live in peace and coexistence and not really being all that successful at it and often at times doubting the commitment on either side to actually wanting to achieve that goal. So it's it's interesting to see that if you are older and World War II and the Holocaust was closer, like this, the, the data seems to show that you are more supportive and the further away the event gets from people when they're born, the more sympathy there might be for Palestinians specifically. When it came to race, 72% of people said that they wanted of white people said that they wanted a strong show of support for Israel, but only fifty one percent of non whites. Again, and over time in the United States, according to Gallup, this is the first time that voters from the Democratic Party have been sh showing themselves in polls to be more sympathetic towards Palestinians. we can see how that would set the table for some division even within the united states on this file i don't have any data for canada i have no reason to suspect it would be much different we too have a very strong relationship with israel but on the international scene again when we talk about the international poker table the United States and Israel are almost like a joint package, and they're seen that way on the international scene. So it's 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 I don't really know. It's a weird situation. It's. Again, like I've been saying from the beginning, it's messy. It's just so messy. And again, we just have to try and have some care. The Prime Minister today is hosting the CARICOM Summit. That's the Summit of Caribbean Nations. And the big issue with uh, this group, of course, is still uh, the fallout from the July 2021 assassination of uh, the Haitian president, Jovenel Moïse. Uh, Canada has announced a $100 million commitment for national police force training and fighting violence committed with firearms in Haiti. That was an announcement that was made a, a few months ago. But today, the latest announcement is that the Canadian government is offering to pause debt repayment for developing countries hit by extreme weather events. The policy announcement comes as we're hosting the Caribbean leaders. And it seems that because climate change is increasing in frequency and intensity in the Caribbean basin specifically, these destructive events can devastate small islands, economies, and so as a block, CARICOM countries wanted reform to the World Bank 
and other lending institutions so that they can get low interest rates or deposit debt repayment when there are natural disasters. The Prime Minister says that Canada's official position is to be in favor of this, so they will advocate for that position at the World Bank, and the government of Canada itself will implement this with regard to its own lending to these countries, joining international partners in calling for major creditors, both public and private, to offer climate resilient debt clauses that pause debt repayments for vulnerable countries in times of crisis or catastrophe. The Prime Minister says that although the leaders of these countries may not be able to control the climate, they should be able to control their own economic future instead of drowning in debt. This is a positive development. Uh, It won't get a lot of play, it won't be big news, but uh, in terms of being leaders in our own region, this is an important move. And uh, these island nations have been asking for this for quite a while, so it's good that uh, the Prime Minister, uh, that they have a a G7 member nation willing to stand up for that at the World Bank. That will add some clout to the movement. And I think that there is a growing sense around the world, even from the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and those others, that they need to be making this step even at that level. There's been talk about this over the past while, and everything seems to be moving in that direction. Yesterday, not yesterday, but a few days ago, there was an interesting decision by the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, The government of Canada passed a law a few years ago called Bill C-69, which the government of Alberta has liked to reframe as being, as called the No Pipelines Act, No More Pipelines Act. It's called called the Impact Assessment Act, and it gave Ottawa the authority to consider environmental health or social impacts on projects, including the oil sands, mines, and power plants. As a result, some provinces, especially Alberta, were unhappy, claiming that the law interfered with their ability to approve large industrial projects. So Alberta took the fence to court. And they won at the provincial level, and uh, rather than having a whole trial again and whole appeal the prime minister well, prime minister the government of canada just took the case and sent it to the the supreme court for a reference and the reference came back with a 5-2 verdict that there were certain sections of the law as written that were indeed unconstitutional and violated the province's ability to be masters of their own domain in in this area Chief Justice Richard Wagner wrote uh, that Parliament has plainly overstepped its constitutional competence. The ruling says that Ottawa has the right to do environmental assessments, so it did confirm and affirm the right of Ottawa to do environmental assessments, but it says that the Feds overstepped in their ability to affect projects for reasons such as contributing to climate change. Deborah Curran, who is an environmental law professor at the University of Victoria, says, quote, there has to be a clear tie between the assessment of these impacts and the purpose in federal jurisdiction or the impacts in federal jurisdiction. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo stated, today we accept the court's opinion 
The act will be amended in Parliament and we will follow the guidance of the court and collaborate with provinces and Indigenous groups to ensure an impact assessment process that works for all Canadians. Um, I'm not equipped at the moment because usually the standard answer, at least that was the case when Stephen Harper was the Prime Minister when something like this would happen, was like, oh, these judges are activists and oh, they're quashing us and we need to do something about that damn court. Send us money. Let's fundraise off this. And then actually not follow the roadmap that the Supreme Court gave you and refused to consult with Indigenous people. And, well, that's how you fundraise millions and millions of dollars off a promise, promise to build a pipeline to Tidewater while not getting an inch of it built. Yeah. So uh, we have a member of the government saying, yeah, we accept the court's opinion. They give us some guidance. We will incorporate that into our law. We will have further consultations with provinces and indigenous groups. And we will table the law again. Wow, just give me more of that peace, order, and good government. That's the way it's supposed to happen. Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson says the changes will be solely based on the court's direction. So, quote, we're not talking about rewriting the act. We're talking here about surgical intervention to further define certain elements of it. That's on the federal government side. On the government of Alberta's side, gee, you'd think that the premier just won the lottery. Alberta is once again open for business. We'll ask for people. We'll ask for people. Sorry. Alberta is once again open for business. We'll ask for people who have been delayed in making project approvals or project submissions start now because we're going to approve them. Did, are you telling people that all they need to do is file the paperwork and you're just going to rubber stamp them? That's a bit of a premature enunciation, Premier Smith. The law is still on the books, and the federal government says that environmental assessments will continue with the court's decision in mind that they are not rewriting the law. They are just going to make the adjustments so that in the areas where they have overstepped into provincial competence, they will not anymore. Meanwhile, may we remind you that you are the person that stopped the approvals of all renewable projects. I'm, you're not open for business. At least not for all business. Right? <laughs> Jeez. Now, Danielle Smith has been at a war with Stephen Gimbo. She has been trashing him every single opportunity she has. She does not like him whatsoever. Suncor came out a while ago stating that they were going to go back to the roots and focus on oil rather than renewables a little bit. And She's just, uh, let's just put it this way, right? She was asked in an interview, do you truly believe that Minister Gilbo and the feds are intent here on destroying Alberta's oil and gas sector? And she answers, 
I want to separate those two because I have good relationships with many of the federal ministers, and I'm really hopeful as we put our table together that we're going to come to some constructive approach so that we can reach carbon neutrality by 2050 because she is unilaterally. Anyway. 2050. But I have to say, I'm constantly dismayed that Environment Minister Stephen Gibault continues to take shots against our province as we're trying to begin this collaborative process. Yes, because if there's one word we associate with Daniel Smith is collaborative. Right? <laughs> he should be coming to the table in good faith. Again, Irony is dying. He should come, he should be coming to the table in good faith, and he should zip it, quite frankly, because he's not helping. And you are. When he starts talking about emissions caps, when he starts putting forward aggressive emissions reduction targets that are unachievable by 2035, I have to react to that, and I'm hoping that his colleagues will rein him in. Like he's a dog. really doesn't like him. And then another time she said like this, he needs to put a sock in it. I'm just like, she's the one with the perpetually open mouth. I'm, wow. And then she says, he's the one who's gone to China to give them advice on how to reach a 2060 target when they are bringing on two coal fire plants a week for electricity. Meanwhile, from there, he is telling us that Suncor is going to face an emissions cap. That is being provocative. He's the one who has to dial it back. And as soon as he does, we'll be happy to have a constructive conversation at the table, but he's got to stop dropping bombs and he's got to stop criticizing our industry. Problem was that that thing that she said that he was saying from China, he actually said it from Charlottetown. It was a interview that was done before he went to China that was released to coincide with his trip to China because it was in the news. <laughs> and again, We've said with regard to China that we will work with them where we must and on the environment is a place where we must and considering that relationships between our relations between our two countries aren't that great, if there's one area that we can work on to maybe build to develop some goodwill that might be able to ease the tensions, this one might be it. And again, Stephen Gilbeau, no matter how much she doesn't like him, when it comes to this stuff, he knows his stuff. He's walked the talk. So if we were going to be sending somebody somewhere else to help with the technical aspects of this, he would be the guy. Again, you have to... I agree with Danielle Smith in the sense that I think he's a terrible communicator when it comes to communicating to the public and maybe even with other provinces, especially those who are not predisposed to liking him in the first place. But I tell you, within the sector and within the industry and whatnot, he has incredible credibility. He knows his file. 
just terrible at popularizing it for the general public. The International Energy Agency says that for every one US dollar of global investment in fossil fuels, there is $7 now being spent on clean energy. In fact, the last time global investments in fossil fuel paced investment in fossil fuels, there was 2015. So given that reality, why would Smith introduce uncertainty to that market? And here's the thing, right? Is that she is saying the federal government is introducing all kinds of uncertainty into the traditional oil and gas market by wanting to get involved in environmental assessments, which they already are. They're just looking at, you know, having a different process for it now. But at the meantime, in the, at, at this exact same time, simultaneously, where she is doing, that's what she accuses the federal governments of doing, federal government of doing on oil and gas, she is doing to the renewable sector. It's just, and she's able to hold both thoughts in her head at the same time. She's able to compartmentalize the reality of her doing to the renewable sectors that which she accuses falsely the federal government of doing to the oil and gas sector. She could, that woman, she should donate her brain to science when it's done because I just. This is how it is that she does that. God, so sorry, I made a mistake. It's for every not $1, $7 for every $1. It's $1.7 for every dollar. Uh, so, so it's starting to outpace. And even within the province, like for example, the town of Caroline, Alberta, they don't like the idea of the pause on the renewable sector. They're saying the pause is sending a conflicting message to investment in corporations who will not look kindly on these sorts of government's decisions. The impact on the Caroline municipality alone will be damaging. Instead of a much-needed increase in our tax revenue, Caroline again will have to continue to move closer to the solution. And when she's asked about that, she, says, she turns around and says, I hope you'll also interview public about rural municipalities and associations because they passed a motion asking for us to pause because they don't want to continue seeing solar and wind going on to prime agricultural land with no plan for reclamation and cleanup. So I think we have to be responsible. We have to make sure we're, we have to make sure number one, stability, and number two is affordability. And we have a plan to make sure that we're putting these sites in the right locations and there's a plan to clean them up at the end. And that's what this pause is about. So she has this ability that even within her own province, when people are saying, oh, this thing that you're doing is hurting us. Talk to these people. There's... She even does it to people within her own province. So, um, This battle between them two is going to keep going, but you're probably going to hear a lot of news from Alberta claiming that they've gotten this big victory on this. And you know what? Maybe this is the most that Daniel Smith can get and she won't be able to parlay it into any more. And if she just took this little win 
and claimed it as a huge win and ran with it and didn't try to embellish or do anything more, it probably would net her strategically a bit more favor with her base in Alberta. But I have a feeling that that's not what her hardwiring is. <laughs> My feeling is that uh, she's going to have a whole team going out there and saying that they won, and then when the amendments are made and the bill isn't really all that much substantially changed, which is going to be the case because, as Minister Wilkinson said, it's not going to be rewritten. They're not going back to the drawing board. Then I'm guessing that creates a whole other platform for much more strident complaint then. But we won. How can you do this? Oh, my God, they're disregarding him. I can't believe that they would defy the Supreme Court. If I didn't have any other cards, that would probably be my play. If I was on that side, if I was thinking like Daniel Smith, but yeah, she will get <laughs> Lane. She will try to run with it. <laughs> Let's see what you kids are saying here, because I've been normally when Mister Grill is here, I can go back and forth between my notes and the screen, because. He talks every now and then when he talks. I can go and look at what you're saying. But as I've been feeling all the time, I've been trying to search through my notes, so I haven't been seeing what you kids have been saying. Let's see what we have here. Oh, we have lots of... You kids are wonderful. Lots of wonderful messages for Mr. Grizzly here. Feel better, brother, from Dan. Kit Dan, so sorry, Paul, from Kit Linda. Get better soon from Kit Cassie. Take care from Kit Tavi G. Feel better from Kit. Kit Jillian. Kit the Daily Beaver says, feel gooder, Mr. Grizzly. So there you go. There you go. Lots of healing energy being sent your way, my friend. With oh, Miss Adeka, morning, everyone. Hope you feel better, Paul. There you go. Right. We have Kit Jillian when we were talking about no labels gets a lot of funding from the GOP-based PIA PACs. Political action committees. That's true. Oh, Kit Mohan, healing vibes headed, heading your way, Paul, with some hearts and some love there. There you go. Yes, Kit Cassie Lake, Matt Gates started the problem removing McCarthy. Indeed, he did. Them too, I think, had a bit of a personal beef. And so it wasn't uh, just politics there. A lot of this was personal. Kit Saucy Witch saying, See Witch saying, Republicans are proving they are incapable of leadership. That is absolutely true. The Kit Daily Beaver getting a good laugh. Another loss for Trump as he endorsed Jim Jordan. Who saw that coming? Everybody. <laughs> the thing with Jim Jordan is that he's having trouble securing votes from whatever you might, whatever constitutes moderates in that party these days because. They don't trust him to approve a budget that would properly fund defense spending. Gee, I wonder why that is. I guess when you spent the better part of the last year making the case that maybe we should not be funding Ukraine. That 
maybe you're not committed to the nation's defense. Seems that's the roadblock. The other roadblock is that it seems that he's not a particularly prolific fundraiser, which matters when you're a speaker. So those are the, the they seem to be the two major roadblocks, in addition to the fact that nobody trusts him. <laughs> he can't be trusted. <laughs> oh man. Kit Jillian says that the BBC has a fact check division that are trying to validate what type of missile it might have been. Exactly. That, that's going to keep on happening. And eventually over time, we are going to get that. We'll see. Kit Jillian, Pod Save the World is a good place to get nuanced analysis of this whole mess. Uh, yep. The, the people at Pod Save have a good series of programs. I do listen to them from time to time. So it's, yep. That's a very solid recommendation here. Get Saucy Sea Witch. I'm tired of humans trying to extinct each other. Oh, I tell you. <sighs> yep. Yep. Uh, Kit Lindia, the IDF spokesman guy, jumped down David Cochran's throat the other day. That's on power and politics. For asking him a question about the validity of Israel's intelligence. They don't want to be questioned. I also saw another interview with someone from the Palestinian side who was upset in the interview when he was trying to be as delicate as he could, but it, it seemed that she was convinced that he was definitely super pro-Israeli and not very receptive to her point of view. So it's, like I said, it's messy and people are going through some very real stuff. So, which, you know, we need to be, we need to be gentle and careful. Ms. Sadeka, I'm not worried about Trudeau. I'm worried about how deep Biden is involved with Israel. If there's a war, that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Kit Mateo has a message. End war, bring love. Love is much better than war. Mateo, I have to agree. War is stupid. It just is. One love, love all. Let's go. So yes, beautiful comments here. It was uh, Kit Cassie. I was ho hoping for someone, something from you there. It was a fantastic ceremony. Métis, Jiggers, and Senator Murray Sinclair. Kitlandam, Manitoba was full of firsts yesterday. Very inspiring for the rest of us. Indeed it was. Indeed it was. All right, kids. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for those comments. I love that. I love to see that you are participating. And yes, Kit Jillian, I wanted to mention it. I'm glad you put it in the chat because I wanted to mention it yesterday and I forgot. Good news from Poland. They had a, an election and it seems that the party led by Donald Tusk. And if that name rings a bell for you, it should because he was the former president of the European Council. They won the elections. I'm sure that former Prime Minister Voldemort is somewhere crying because he was really hoping to keep Poland in the fold. And uh, of course, uh, probably the Prime Minister of Canada is breathing a sigh of relief too because when that incident with 
that person who should not be mentioned, who was honored by mistake in the House of Commons. When that incident happened, the Polish Minister of Education from the previous government was calling for some type of inquiry or investigation of some kind. And now that he's no longer in government, <laughs> that kind of goes away in that sense. But yes, Poland now has a government that is not to the right, which will be very helpful because, number one, Poland is a pretty major nation. And for the first phase of this war, Poland was pretty much in LFG mode. Let's fucking go. Because <laughs> they would like to take care of the Russians. But it seems that they had a movement starting similar as the United States. Oh, this is costing too much. And it's not going to happen. Maybe we shouldn't. And so Poland is more in the fold. Unfortunately, Slovakia is not. They recently had an election as well. And they went right. And down in New Zealand as well, after six years of the Labour government there, Jacinda Ardern stepped down a while ago because she said that she didn't have the flame anymore. There, they had an election also on the weekend, and their government went towards the right as well. I don't know how far right the right is in New Zealand, whether or not they're more moderate or not. But yes, so a couple of you know wins and losses in the columns. So uh, yeah. Manitoba goes NDP, Poland goes in the correct column, but uh, Slovakia and New Zealand flip the other way. It's, it's life, uh, the geopolitics happens. But yes, uh, thank you for bringing that up, Kit Jillian, because I, I did want to mention that. Oh, and another interesting development in the United States that I wanted to mention is that Senator Mitch Romney has announced that he will not be running for re-election in 2024. Basically, the party has moved too far right. He's not really interested in being part of that, what's going on anymore. So, yes, one moderate senator will be lost. There is another race in Arizona right now where Kristen's, Kristen Cinema, who has been a bit of a roadblock to Democratic efforts in the Senate, uh, as is she left the party at one point and said that she's not a Democrat or a Republican, somewhat independent. So she's running in this race as an independent that has, unfortunately, that Carrie Lake woman, that woman who considers herself like Trump in heels and tried to contest her election again in Arizona. She's a former newscaster, so she's got the showbiz part of it, but she's completely wackadoodle. She's in the race. And then there's the Democrat uh, candidate is, oh God, I had his name and I just lost it. Uh, Diego, uh, Diego, Ruben Gallego. It seems that, again, they're having a three-way race because Kirsten Cinema has about 15% of support seems nobody likes her. <laughs> Carrie Lake has about 36% and Gallega has about 41%. So a lot of people are thinking, well, the fifth column being one of them, 
that all Gallego has to do is be normal. <laughs> that should be enough because Lake and Cinema are probably going to be acting uh, weird enough. Uh, now, if Lake and Cinema both try to gang up on Gallego, it could be a little bit of an interesting uh, election. But uh, yes, but if Ruben Gallego could get it, it won't increase the number of seats for the Democrats uh, in the Senate, but it will remove one, remove one of the two obstacles because there's Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. If Gallego is a more reliable vote than Cinema is, and most likely he will be, then all of a sudden that 51 matters because they can pass things with 50, even if Joe Manchin decides to screw up, unless Joe Manchin, even if Joe Manchin does decide to vote with the other side on it, the president of the Senate, who is the vice president, breaks the tie in that case. That would be, it's just one seat, it's just one election, but it would be a big deal. Because right now, even though the Democrats have 51, it's not a, as you would call it, it's not a mansion cinema proof majority. Because if they both decide to oppose either together or for separate individual reasons, that does bring them down to 49. Yeah. Looks like people are going to be saying bye-bye to you, Kirsten. It also seems that she hasn't raised a lot of money yet either, which is really interesting. So people are doubting whether or not she will fully commit to running in that race, but uh, as of now, there's no word that she won't. So there we go. Interesting things going on. Let's see. What else do we have from the kits here? Yes, Kit Saucy. Trudeau has spent a lot of money on the pandemic, so I can only imagine the insane shit that would come out should he choose to invest heavily in our military. The U.S. would also be uncomfortable, I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. We have been being begged for quite a long time to get our military spending to at least 2% of GDP. I'm not sure about that one. I'm not sure. I guess it would probably depend what we were spending it on. If we were spending it on stuff to maybe ensure our own protection a little better in the odd case that the United States takes a few steps to the right and decides that we are too left for them and maybe we need to be liberated. Yeah, maybe that would make the United States nervous, but otherwise, and I mean, nervous as we can make the United States, considering that it takes us 30 years to order anything military and get it here. I'm sure they've got lots of time to plan. <laughs> or not particularly efficient. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Lots of cheers for Mateo here. Yes, indeed. All right. Let's see what else do we have for you, Kits, in the news. Let's, let's go to some happier news. Why don't we? Um, Team Canada has been selected for the Pan American Games. Uh, Santiago, Chile are going to be the site uh, for the games. Uh, I believe they start tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. October 20th, I believe the Pan American Games start. The Canadian team 
I believe uh, consists of about 463 members. Once again, more women than men. 15 Olympic medalists, I believe, are among the team. I think 106 Olympians. For certain of the certain events, Pan American Games will be qualifications for the Olympics as well. So, yeah, go Team Canada. Looking very much forward to lots of success and hoping that it'll bring back a lot of medals because this is the warm up, of course, for the Olympics. It's the last big multi sport event before the olympics happen yep the dates friday october 20th 2023 to sunday november 5th 2023 so that is going to be fantastic we of course our canadians always do us very proud speaking about olympics for the los angeles olympics in 2028 the olympic games will have a different look because there will be five new sports added baseball and softball will be coming back that one is in the olympics and then out and then in and then out depending on where it is flag football which is interesting lacrosse which is interesting again because lacrosse hasn't been part of the olympics for a while squash which has been trying to get into the olympics for quite a while and a sport that we've recently talked about on the show, cricket, will also be included. And just as the time that Team Canada is starting to have a little bit of success, who knows, maybe in 2028, there'll be a Team Canada playing cricket at the Olympics in Los Angeles. So softball, cricket, and lacrosse are making returns to the Olympics. They have been sports in the past, sometimes not for long. I think lacrosse might have like early, like around like 1900, 1904, 1908, and then maybe not since. But yeah, but flag football and, and squash are new. That would be the debut. As we mentioned, baseball, softball have been off and on. Baseball was an official medal event for the first time in Barcelona in 1992. Softball made its debut in Atlanta in 96. Both remained on the program through Beijing 2008 and then disappeared for a while. They were excluded in London and Rio. Baseball, softball returned in Tokyo because, as one of the organizing committees proposed sports, because baseball is very popular in Japan. Canada won the bronze medal in softball, which was the first Olympic medal for Canada in either sport, in baseball or softball, since its introduction in the Olympics. Cricket and lacrosse were Olympic sports way back when, like I mentioned early. Cricket was contested at Paris in 1900, while lacrosse was included in St. Louis in 1904 and 1908. Wow, I remember those off the top of my head. I was a bit of an Olympic geek when I was a kid, so my mind is full of useless facts that can only serve me in a context like this or if I was playing Jeopardy about the Olympics. <laughs> Canada won gold in both of the lacrosse tournaments, which will make the country the defending Olympic champion 120 years later. <laughs> I don't think we'll have any returning members from our last Olympic champion team, however. 
1904, it was clubs that competed. So it was actually the Winnipeg Shamrocks who were the victors. The bronze medal from 1904 is also credited to Canada, won by a team of Haudenosaunee athletes from the Six Nations of the Grand River near Brantford, Ontario. The Indigenous heritage of lacrosse as a sport makes it a great fit for an Olympic Games hosted in North America, which is one of the reasons it was there. Cricket and lacrosse will be featured in newer forms. Introduced in 2003, it'll be T20 cricket, which is a shorter version of the traditional game. Instead of matches taking days to complete, a T20 match can be played in two or three hours. And lacrosse will be the sixes format, six for six, which was created in 2018 to accelerate the global growth of the game. I'm reading this information here from the Olympic.ca site. Now, for squash, it was already included in other multi-sports events like the Pan American Games, where it's been an official medal sport since 1995, and Canada is the top medal-winning country at the Pan Am Games there. But yes, finally qualifying for the Olympics after a couple of attempts. And of course, given the popularity of the NFL, so flag football made it to the Olympics. In the flag football, for those who are not familiar, the defensive team aims to remove a flag from the ball carrier. So there's like a little strip of fabric or whatnot that's tucked into the the back of the, I guess the, I don't know what you would call those actually, the, I guess the football pants that they're using. And as you're running, rather than tackling somebody, you just try to grab it. And if you grab it, that's considered a tackle. So it's less possibility for injury, of course, but probably a, a, a faster-paced game, I would assume. So yeah, we'll have a lots of things to look forward to with the Olympics. As we mentioned about Canadians who do us proud, Sydney Pickram, champion Canadian swimmer who I haven't heard of for a while, has returned to to her fine form, along with Kylie Mass and Ingrid, Ingrid Wilm, who won six medals between them at the second leg of the World Aquatic Swimming World Championships in Athens, Greece. Prakram swam to the gold medal in the women's 200 individual medley, an event in which she was the World Championships bronze medalist in 2019. So that was a great result for her. Nice to see her uh, back at the top of the podium. And then she claimed a silver in the she claimed a silver in the 200 IM at the first leg of the World Cup in Berlin. And it was her first comp- that was her first competition in, in five months. She didn't even go to the World Aquatics Championships this year for personal reasons. Basically, she's talking, she had recently spoken about some mental health challenges. She said, two months ago, I had crippling anxiety and depression. I was not able to do what I loved. To be in this position, just enjoy racing with these girls and just getting back to having fun and enjoying what I love to do. I'm very grateful to be here, and I just try to do the best I can every day. And she will be joining Team Canada at uh, the Pan Am Games. Kylie Mass and Ingrid Wilm were dominating the backstroke podiums. Wilm edged out Kylie Mass by one one hundredth of a second for a silver medal in the 15-meter backstroke. And then they swapped spots the following day as Kylie Mass took the silver in the 100-meter backstroke and Wilm settled for bronze. And then Kylie Mass had her third podium finish, earning the bronze in the 200-meter backstroke. While the Australian swimmer, McCowan, I can't remember her first name, Kaylee McCowan, who's a superstar, 
on the backstroke. She won the gold in all three events. And I believe uh, she won also at the World Championships not too long ago. And then we had the World Beach Volleyball Championships. Melissa Humana Paradis and Brandy Wilkinson, who earlier this year won an Elite uh, 16 competition, won, finished in uh, fifth place overall. So a good performance, not a medal, but a good performance. And then on the World Cup of Triathlon, uh, an athlete named Charles pa Charles Paquet earned his first career World Triathlon Cup medal when he finished third in Brasilia. He completed the course of 1,500 meters swimming, 40 kilometers bike, and one and a 10 kilometer run in a total time of one hour, 48 minutes, and 36 seconds. So yeah, he's Paquet is Canada's number two man in the world rankings behind Tyler Mislachuk. And this result will help him maintain his momentum towards Olympic qualification. He's quoted as saying, I had a really good day to be honest, said Pekka. I impressed myself with the swim and somehow ended up in the first five. I don't know how. And then the bike was really windy, so we were either really slow or really fast. No one really on it. Then just running as fast as I can, and those guys really made me push, and I just managed to keep it going to the end. I felt the heat a lot like everyone. Maybe getting, my getting here early and getting used to the heat was what worked well for me. And on the women's side, Lego finished 10th in the women's race. So there you go. Canadians making us proud. I can't wait for the Pan Am games. I, I love multi-sport games. And when we had them here in Toronto a few years ago, I went to go see the beach volleyball and regular volleyball live. And I did not regret it for one second. It was well worth the price of admission. Yep. If you have an opportunity... I think my democracy is something that you do. I'm going to do it a little early is to sit in front of your TV at least once between the <laughs> now and November 5th. And uh, yeah, for, yeah. Uh, team Canada. Do we have family? feeling slightly better? I was lying on my Shakti mat for about 45 minutes and Thankfully, Bridget stayed the night, so she's here. She's going to go to the drugstore for me later, and go ahead. Uh, she's going to. I'm going to put my uh, tens machine on in a few minutes. So yeah, I'll I'll be feeling better shortly. I'm still. I'm not going to be fully functional today. I've been helping out with my job, my my day job, by having video conference calls. Going, yeah, I'll do this. I'll help you with that. Do this. Do. I'm really not functioning well. Hmm. Oh, I hope you feel better soon. Thanks. Me too. Do you have anything so that you I, want to... I apologize. I apologize to the Kitson Cubs for not being present today, but yeah, I'm allergic to... I appreciate the yeah. offer, Zion, but I, I, I'm allergic to that product, so I can't, I can't partake. Mm. Uh, so I, I have... Right now, I'm just going to go with ice packs and TENS machine and Shakti mat and try all the natural methods before I go for a, um, the, the, I have baclofen, I have a script for that. And if I have to, I'll get that filled and, and Bridget will go pick it up for me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, let's yeah. see. Our kid Dan goes, let's have a 24-hour show. <laughs> ah, maybe for charity one day. <laughs> Can we yeah. podcast yeah, for we'll 24 like straight a... hours? Yeah, we, we could do a marathon show <laughs> for, yeah, we'd have to bring in multiple guests. Yes, we would because... Uh, my vocal cord's going to wake up so long. I, yeah, I need to sleep eventually. 
anyway, I thought I'd pop in towards the end of the show because it looks like you're getting ready to wind things up. I was watching you on the TV. There. Yep, getting ready to wind things um, down. But I was wondering if, you, given that you were feeling a little better based on anything that was said, if you had a little, if you had any commentary or anything that you wanted to add. Not really. Not really? Um, okay. I, I was watching, but I wasn't exactly paying attention. Yep, but I know the feeling. Yeah, I'm just, I'm present, but I'm not physically i'm physically present but i'm not there yep. if that yep i can i think you can see it in my face yep. that i'm really not doing well today. we had that in high school we had a teacher that used to ask us that all, all the time vous êtes présent physiquement mm-hmm. mentalement yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm physically here but that's the extent of it <laughs> all right kids thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Daily Beaver Morning Show. We hope that you love listening to me because I liked making this for you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I yeah. think. Not exactly sure I was supposed to do that one today. Remember, sharing is caring and uh, word of mouth is priceless. So please tell your peeps and poops all about us. And we really appreciate that because democracy is something that you do right to your MLAs, your MPPs, your members of parliament, your senators, your media. If you are in uh, the Northwest Territories, make sure that you uh, start preparing for the election on November 14th. That is coming up. Donate to the Red Cross if you can. Very important. And yes, yes, get saucy solo beaver. And you're right, Mr. Grizzly, it's not as fun alone. <laughs> Ah, wow. Uh, And a well done as a solo, Douglas. Thank you so much, Kit Linda. Thank you. Really appreciate that. So, yes, if you would like to make sure that you do not miss an episode because you love our show, well, this little squiggly that appeared under my chin, that is our QR code that brings us to the pod page sponsored by The Ray Girl. And while you're there, if you click on subscribe, That way, you will have every single one of our episodes. When it's fresh off the bandwidth, it comes straight to you. Thank you to The Ray Girl for that. And if you're listening at home, that's podpage.com slash the true north eager beaver, lowercase letters with a hyphen between each one of those words. If you like to smash, there you go. Kit Lane, right on time. Have a beyond awesome day, everyone. And remember to smash the button before you leave, she says. And you do. And because... We are generous little critters. We have not one, not two, but three. Three buttons with which you can smash. Like, share, subscribe. Free beer today. Three favorite words in the world. Free beer today. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Free beer tomorrow is a fallacy because tomorrow never comes. <laughs> Ooh, I feel you're on the James Bond theme in my head now. <laughs> tomorrow never nice dies. Dome, dome. All right. So, is that Cheryl Crow who sang that one? She sang. It was. She, she did sing. Never die. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Tomorrow, Tomorrow never, never dies. dies. Yeah, that was Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was. And in, Madonna did was, "Die Another Day," which I loved her. I version. loved. I, I die thought it was day. great. I thought it was a yeah. killer track. Sure, I was surprised that they picked Cheryl Crow because usually they pick someone with a big voice of some kind. So that that, that was an interesting yeah, choice. I like that. She's a singer-songwriter yeah. and a great one at oh, that, yeah. but she doesn't have the big voice. But yeah, no, she did it. Yeah, she did it. Really. My, my, when the one, that, one of the, the two of them that I like that for some reason nobody does, I loved A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. 
Oh yeah, I yeah. love the Living Daylights by Aha. Yeah, no, they were both it's great. A great song. You know? Big lots well, of drama Ad- to them. Adele did Skyfall. Uh, did she do Skyfall? Yeah. yeah. And Billie Eilish did the most recent one, and she recorded it. It was in the can, and it sat on the shelf for almost two yeah. years because of the pandemic. They held on to the film for so long before they released it. Yeah, she it. got ripped off. Uh, no, she got really ripped off because, yes, it got delayed, but because it was pandemic and not everybody was going to movies and oh, whatnot yes. like this, the song yeah. didn't get as much profile as it should have gotten. It was good. Yes. I thought you meant from a business standpoint. No, the, the opportunity. It's, I, there was this thing I remember. There was this, like... I think her name was Lita Ford back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. She had, she was yeah. just starting to become famous and her big debut album launched on September 11th. Oh, no, Lita Ford's been around since the eighties, dude. Wasn't that Lita Ford? Lita Ford's been around since the eighties, actually since the seventies. Oh, sorry. No, you're thinking of somebody yes, else. Yes. It was the, the I want to be bad. was her big hit at Lita Ford. Willa Ford. Yeah. Will Ford, Ford. Yeah. sorry, not Lita. You know who? You know what else was released on September 11th, what? which became a number one worldwide hit and solidified them as a rock superstar. No, don't know. This is how you remind me, by Nickelback. No way, that was. Yeah, and you know what happened on September 10th? Michael Jackson was given a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he said, and so he got off stage at 12:01 a.m. because they were taping the show. And he's like, I want to remember this day forever. September 11th, 2001. I'll never forget. If you watch the Michael Jackson, there's a Michael Jackson film about it. And, and that they recreated that moment. Like, yeah, you're never going to forget it. Oh, my. Of course, he died a few years later. But yeah, I, I have a video clip I wanted to show that I had lined up. Please. Uh, and my circumstances changed. But I'm going to show this video clip. And it's about the, it's about Skippy and the apple. Oh, and okay. Just watch. Why should Canadians trust you with their food? Common sense. Fuck for change. We're having common sense common in this country. We don't have. What? I'm right with you, buddy. Yep. Common sense. Common sense. And then all of his bots and followers in your comments, it's common sense. <laughs> to the current government. The guy prints $600 billion, grows her money. Oh. It's supplied by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget, bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying. So, so what he fails to mention there is that was mostly pandemic spending. Every country in the world added money and debt during the pandemic. All of that money went to Canadians. And our inflation rate is one of the lowest in the world. Interest rates are going up everywhere because of global factors. It's got nothing to do with... The guy is a compulsive fucking liar. 
All he does is lie. So what is he going to do? He's going to cut spending. So it cut services, cut money to healthcare, cut money to education, all that stuff. So that it trickles down to the provinces, which are already cutting all this shit. And then what? You think that's going to help you, blue collar workers? It's common sense. <laughs> what? Nice, such a fucking liar. Oh my God. It's so ridiculous. Common sense. There was see there. It was just another collection of conservative tropes and buzzwords. Oh, we're gonna cut spending and balance the budget. <laughs> How we're gonna do that? Don't worry, it's common sense. <laughs> Fucking guys. Oh shit. Right. I love this guy. I love this guy. I wanted to play him. Isn't he great? So he he summed up what I went on a diatribe about yesterday. And he did it in, in two minutes and 14 seconds and did it with a chuckle. I was not able to laugh because I was so bloody angry. But he's brilliant. Creek Pete 2.0, at Creek Pete 2.0 on the TikTok. If you want to follow somebody, he's good. He's really funny. And his, I'd like to connect with him and have him on the show at some oh, point time God. because yes. he says he's able to sum up what I'm feeling in a better way than I ever can. Same with Lisa. Lisa had a really good one about oh, this yeah. the other day. I don't know if you saw it. Yep. It's, we're not going to yep. show it because it's a 10-minute yep. video, but oh, oh my, my God. She was yep. 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 eviscerated that piece of human fecal matter, that cockwomble skin tag. I'm not going to go on. I'm, I'm in too much pain. If I get angry, it's only going to make it worse, and I don't need to do that right now. So I'm going to jump out. Sir, I'll let you in the show, and I will, I'll do all the stuff that I have to do to make it work. Okay? Okie dokie. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Well, I will just consider all that stuff as being Mr. Chrisley's words of wisdom. <laughs> She's already popped out. <laughs> so yes, we did the democracy something that you do. Part kids from the Beaver Lodge. Solo. Almost solo. Not fully solo. I still got to have some training wheels there. Mr. Grizzly made sure I had them. <laughs> This is your griever saying, it can be a tough world out there. So please be kind to and gentle with yourself. And you know what? Be generous with yourself as well today. You're worth it. You deserve it. Treat yourself to something nice somehow. Do something special for yourself today. That's, a, that's your democracy, something that you can do thing. Do something nice for you as well. This is your beaver law. Uh, your eager beaver saying could be a tough world out there. So please be kind to and gentle with yourself and generous with yourself. And uh, have a most wonderful day. There's no words of wisdom. So I'm going to say, Mr. Grizzly, from wherever you are, roll the credits and I'll have a little something for the Easter egg. You are listening to a True North Eager Beaver media podcast. The True North Eager Beaver podcasts are proudly brought to you by our founding sponsors. The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, your source for science fiction, fantasy, and cozy mysteries featuring a broad diversity of characters. CanadianTarot.com, your uniquely Canadian online eclectic tarot community and forum. And The Peppermaster, hot pepper sauces made from fresh farm ingredients to thrill your taste buds and expand your mind.
Kitty Lane says, I need this video, please. <laughs> I don't know if you're there, Mr. Grizzly, if you could put it in the chat, but that way the link to Creep Pete's video, that would be great. All right, for your Easter egg kitties, remember, uh, again, the Skippy saying the common sense thing? Just reminded me of a, another Canadian leader who once tried to explain something and had to use the same word several times in the answer. And that is, of course, Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, when he said, a proof is a proof. What kind of a proof? It's a proof. A proof is a proof. And when you have a good proof, it's because it's proven. <laughs> uh, great moments in Canadian oratory. <laughs> All right, kids. There we go. Kit Elaine, uh, Mr. Grizzly just put the link to the Common Sense video that that we just watched up there for you. It's two above your comment there. All right, kids. Have a wonderful day. Je vous aime beaucoup. Welcome to the place where everyone knows your name, where everyone's your friend, where good times are had by all. Sit back, relax, pour yourself a beverage and enjoy our company. I know we'll certainly enjoy yours. Welcome to the True North Eager Beaver Pubcast. Once a month, we gather at the Lieutenant's Pump at 361 Elgin Street in downtown Ottawa, Canada's capital city, bringing you joy and happiness all day long. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.